Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesland with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. As a thing we're just waiting for you to do. There you go. <laughs> if I can just muddle that all out. <laughs> I guess the, the rhetoric between you and I and talking about the different systems on cars is the main point. But the calls add a lot of interest, too, I think. Sure. Different uh, opinions. Different. That's right. Different problems different parts of the country well that's right and i always enjoy when folks call in of course i don't mind just sitting here talking about cars either but right you know it just kind of <laughs> adds a little extra nuance there there you go <laughs> so it was calls 291-6901 just before we came on the air we we're sitting here kind of chit-chatting uh-huh. and we we're talking about one of the things that we get a lot of calls about and certainly i get a lot of email about right and that's a misfire on okay. a car and misfires today, in fact, a lot of people don't even know what a misfire is, so I guess we could kind of define that. All right. A misfire can range from maybe a rough idle, and there's a car sitting just kind of shaking at an idle that it used to not do, or it could be when you're going down the road, you can feel a car surging back and forth. It could also be when you give it the gas, it just starts skipping. Uh-huh. There's several types of misfires. Right. What a misfire is literally is when the piston comes up, and compresses the fuel-air mixture. For some reason, the mixture does not explode, and so it doesn't drive the piston down, and it loses power for a second. On that cylinder. On that cylinder. Right. And since there are multiple cylinders in an engine, a misfire can affect a single cylinder, or it can affect multiple cylinders. Correct. Depending on the cause of the misfire. And the way you diagnose both problems are totally different. So, I guess one of the first things you have to know is what type of misfire you're dealing with. Correct. Now, fortunately, on newer cars, that's become a little easier because you have what they call Mode 6. And what Mode 6 is is a misfire counter, among other things. Mm -hmm. But you can isolate which cylinder is missing if it's a distinct enough miss, which makes it much, much, much easier. Let's say, for instance, the check engine light comes on, a flashing light, and it's a code P0302. Okay. Well, what that would mean is we have a misfire on cylinder two. Correct. The P300 is the general misfire. General misfire. And if a specific cylinder is missing, it gives it a number. If it can identify Cyl- it. Cylinder one, two, three through eight or 12 or how many cylinders you got. Right. If you got multiple misfires, it may only set a PO300. Correct. Or if it can't identify which cylinder, you know, there's just not enough of a difference for it to pick up, it may not set a specific cylinder. But once you know a specific cylinder is missing, then it becomes a lot easier to try to diagnose the cause of that. And Correct. that's going to be totally different than a misfire that's a, a general, general misfire on all cylinders. So hold that thought. We're going to right. our phone lines here. We got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. I got a question I can't really be too smart about asking you a question, but it's my brother's Jeep. He changed the oil. Now it's not getting any fire. When you spin the engine over, it no fire going from the coil to the distributor. You can pull the coil wire up. and But when you let off the key, it will make one spark. And it does the same thing. Even if you use a little jumper on the solenoid, you know, mm-hmm. it's got a forward yeah. ignition system mm-hmm. in it. And even with the key off, it will, the last bump it makes. What, kind of, what year model is this thing? It's about an 86. Oh, old, old, old one? Yeah. <laughs> is it electronic ignition or point? Yeah, it's got what looks like the same ignition system I used to have on like a 78 Ford truck or something, you know, 80, 90, uh, you know, in there. Got yeah. the flat 
ignition module that it cranks on one, bends yeah. on one side, and runs on. It sounds like Herb, it's not seeing the reluctor wheel turning because when you turn the key on or off, you're sending a surge. It's just like breaking the points when you turn mm-hmm. the key on and off, and it's making a spark, which tells you the call's okay, the wire's okay, the wiring to it's okay, or it wouldn't do that. You know, mm-hmm. if you got that single spark when you cycle ignition, then you know all that stuff is intact. It sounds like it's not getting the signal, and you need to look inside the distributor and see there's some type of a trigger device. It may right. be a reluctor wheel, like a magnetic wheel, yeah. and it's kind of a pickup call. I would suspect something in that area, and some of them are actually, some of the old ones were optical. They actually had a little optical wheel with a shutter wheel that went through. Some of them were magnetic. I just don't remember back that far. Yes. Well, this one, we changed it. I know, you you know, this changes parts, just not knowing you run right. out of money. <laughs> but we changed that anyhow. And What did you change? That little reluctor. Okay, how about the call? Yeah, we went on to change that. Because I was up there last weekend north of mm-hmm. and either spend his money or go home and not do nothing. You yeah, know? I still think that's going to be your issue, Herb. It's going to be something in that system. It could be a broken wire down inside the distributor. It could be anything in that area. So you're not going to guess at it. You're going to have to have somebody knows what right. to do and take a look at it, or you'll just run out of money. The problem is that most them people have done died or retired. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's still people who can fix that around. Right. You just have to find somebody who knows what they're doing or just keep changing parts till you happen to hit it. But it's got to be not getting a signal because if you cycle ignition and it fires, then you know you got power on the system. You know the call's working. You know the call wire's good. You know the wire going to it is good. And there's, everything is there to make a spark. It has right. to be a wooden spark when you turn the ignition on and off. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be not getting a signal. Now, you'd have to find out where the signal comes from. It could be power going to the call, mm-hmm. the little reluctant call inside the distributor. It's got 12 volts on the red wire coming in. Mm-hmm. And the green wire, I suppose, is what pulses the coil. I yeah, think. I'm sure. If we tried taking the uh, ground in that green side and yeah, tapping the probably not going to be a ground. No, so that's going to be a, a pulse width. It's not going to be a ground. It's not okay. off. I want a pulse width. And I just have to see. I just can't remember how that system worked. There may be another module that actually creates the pulse, mm-hmm. but it's got to have something going to it. But if cycling the ignition makes a spark, we know everything else is intact. So it's right. got to be something in that trigger system. Okay. And like I said, it's just too old for me to remember. If you want to send me an email, Herb, I'll see if I still got some of that old data around and see maybe I can give you a little bit better insight on it. But I almost bet you it's going to be something in that trigger. It's not seeing the trigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. For whatever reason. Well, I, that gives us a little start there. Okay, then. man. I appreciate that that much. All right, Herb. They, they're talking about not being... He's got a, about an 81 John Deere bulldozer, uh-huh. and he had a pump went out on it and needed a seal in it. And uh, they told him, to all the people that we know of that, that <laughs> knows how to tear that pump down and replace that seal that comes from the inside are either dead or retired. That's you right. Know, you know, that's that's going to be a bigger and bigger and bigger problem, not only with cars but with all technology, <laughs> is that all the folks who could maintain it are going away fast. They had to buy an almost $400 pump mm-hmm. instead of a seal because – Nobody had knew how to put. The well, that's in. right. We see that even like with carburetors, right. which aren't near as old as that as far as the technology. But I mean, the number of guys who can still rebuild a carburetor are, are getting few and far between. They're all going away fast. Right. So okay. All righty. Thank you for your help. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Right, bye. 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 All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would absolutely love to have you. And we've got Carl line. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. I got two questions. Sure. Okay. The first one is I got a 2013 Mazda 5. Okay. And every once in a while, it hesitates like it's not getting fuel. The worst thing in the world you can do, Carl, is say like it's not getting fuel because you have no idea what that feels like. 
and there's about 500 things that's going to feel the same way. So don't ever get on that type of a tangent. Now, if you suspect it's a fuel problem, the first thing you do is put a fuel pressure gauge on it. Go drive it. See what fuel pressure is doing when it occurs. But there's so many things that can cause that. Is it setting a check engine light yet? No. Yeah, see, if it's real intermittent and real slight, I mean, it's just an almost infinite number of things that can cause it. How often does it occur? Sometimes two or three times a day. Yeah. And mostly on the curb. Mostly where? Mostly when I'm turning. Okay, when you're turning, and it's a, you, you say it's like a surge or a misfire? No, it's not a misfire. It just hesitates like it's not getting gas and has to push harder on the gas pedal to get it going again. Yeah, it's just going to be too many possibilities with the information that you have because you could have something like a throttle position sensor that is not seeing the amount of throttle that you're applying, so it's raising or lowering the pressure to the transmission, which will give you a little slip, which will feel that way. Something like a mass airflow sensor that it doesn't know how much air is going in, and if you accelerate slightly, it just leans out for a second. I mean, so do you think a diagnostic would catch that? If it occurs, yes. If there's no check engine light and no code, it's going to be very difficult to find unless it occurs while you've got some instrumentation on it. If it does it a couple of times a day, the problem is you bring it to the shop and they go drive it and it doesn't occur. And if you're willing to pay a guy 100 bucks an hour to sit there and drive your car all day, then that's great. But you're probably not going to be willing to do that. What you may have to do is just wait until it gets a little more consistent or wait until it starts to generate a code. That way you can go to it a lot faster, a lot easier. Because right now it's aggravating, but it's not really a life-threatening situation for you. Now, that being okay. a 13, is it still under factory warranty? You know, I don't know. I, I'm going to call my I bought it used. I'm going to call Mazda. Yeah, how many miles you got? On it. How many miles? Uh, 46,000. Yeah, you it probably out. out. I want to say it's 336 right. on that. but. Yeah, you're going to have to wait until you know, it gets a little more consistent. And the only other option, you could put, like I said, a fuel pressure gauge on it, tape it to the outside of the windshield where you can see the fuel pressure, drive the car, and if the fuel pressure drops when it occurs, then we could be into something like a fuel pressure regulator going bad, even a bad fuel pump, even the wire going to it or the relay going to the fuel right. pump. Any one of these things is going to cause that same sensation. Something like glitch in the ECM, the computer itself can tell the injector not to fire when it's supposed to a wire that's loose on an injector can do that. i mean it's just so many possibilities that we would virtually exhaust your bank account before you found it you just got to wait till it gets a little more consistent where you can actually go in there and see it or if it generates a code like let's say it throws a code for a injector circuit okay well at least we know the area we're looking into so we can go in there and put a scope on the injector drive it and see if it occurs while we're driving it so yeah, then I we got one some, other, qu- I sure, one go other ahead. question for you. I drive about 150 to 200 miles a day. Uh-huh. How often after the 75, first 75,000 mile service on the transmission should I dump the transmission fluid? That many miles is probably pretty easy service because most of it's probably highway miles and the transmission. No, it's city. It's city. All in town? I'd still be doing it about every 50 to 75,000. Okay, They've had a few problems with the transmissions on those cars. I mean, it's a lot cheaper to service them than it is to try to change the transmission out. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks for calling, man. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we're going to try to catch a few more of these. we got Travis online. Good morning, Travis. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a, I got an 01 Yukon XL with mm-hmm. got three of the, the cigarette lighter power ports in the front, one in the back, and then one in the very back. Uh-huh. And we were on a trip this past weekend where you got a radar detector plugged in, a cell phone charger, and then a power inverter. Mm-hmm. And now two of the three plugs in the front don't work. 
Yeah. I'm not sure how they're fused. It could be fused or a lot. We've changed a lot of those sockets. Little sockets will burn up, particularly if you plug something in that's a little bit higher than what it's designed to work on. You know, those are pretty light duty. We've got a commercial fleet of trucks that plug a bunch of stuff in those they burn those sockets up constantly i mean we change them we actually get an aftermarket heavy duty socket and put which seems to work a little better but okay uh, you can get like a voltmeter and just kind of very carefully stick it touch that little contact if you still got 12 volts and it's not working then it's gonna be the socket if you don't have 12 volts then just go to fuse box and see but are you sure brian of whether those are all on one circuit on one i don't know being a yukon those trucks we have the service trucks are pickup trucks so they only have a couple in the front, but I'm not sure how the ones in the back, if they're fused through the same fuse or if they're individuals. We'd have to pull uh, might service be, yeah, data. might be multiple Check the fuses. wire diagrams. Yeah, look in your owner's manual and see if it shows multiple fuses. And just check fuses. That's easy to do. And if not, like I said, get a voltmeter and just check, see if you got power there. If it does, we change those sockets all the time. Is that pretty easy? Yeah. Like when you say yeah. change it, how long does that take? Oh, falling down easy. It just, just unscrews out, and uh, you got to reach in behind okay. to hold a little nut, but it uh, unscrews out from the front, put a new one in, screw it back. Okay. Because uh, I did check the fuses, and the fuses look good. I put them back in, so mm-hmm. it was just kind of puzzling how one out of the three don't work. I mean, works it, and I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah the they, socket's probably burned up yeah, in them. Probably the socket burned up, unless there's separate circuits and there's another fuse hidden somewhere. But Right. If you check, so is it being. 14 years old is probably a socket, huh? That's what I would think, yeah. Okay. Well, right. Thank you. Okay, man. Thanks. Yes, yeah, bye-bye. Bye. All right. We got to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Take the highway. That's the best. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work. A new AC and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. How you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good, good. I've got a question. I just recently purchased a Toyota Tundra. Okay. And it's got two-wheel drive, 4.6 with a six-speed automatic transmission. Okay, sir. And I've been reading online. They're saying that the transmission is supposed to go, some people say without service, or some people say 100,000 <laughs> yeah. miles. Yeah. I wanted your opinion on that. Well, Terry, that's just <laughs> a, sta- a regular transmission that the same transmission basically they've been using for years, and they uh-huh. give you all kinds of hoopla about it. Where most of that comes from, they don't have a dipstick on it. Like most newer transmissions, there's no dipstick. Uh-huh. And the reason Toyota goes to that is because the fluid level is extremely critical on it, and they don't want people adding fluid when they shouldn't or not putting enough fluid. So, like a lot of them, what they've done is they've eliminated the dipstick, and it takes a whole pile of special tools and stuff to do the job right, and it takes mm-hmm. a fair amount of time to do it right. 
Right. All that being said, every transmission that's ever been built will benefit from a proper service. What, That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, what, what Toyota knows, they don't really necessarily trust their dealership to do a proper service on it, and they know mm-hmm. that it will go 100,000 miles not servicing it. Mm-hmm. And that's, in their engineer's mind, that is the life of the truck. And he's engineering mm-hmm. this thing to go 100,000 miles. So he puts a synthetic fluid, which is WS, puts okay. a filter in it, seals it up, mm-hmm. and says, okay, don't service it, just run it. But, again, he's thinking driving 100,000 miles and throw it away. That's the criteria they gave him, and it'll do that. Now, if you're like me, I can't throw my truck away at 100,000 miles. Exactly. I I have to get 200, 250 to get my money out of it. Uh If it were my truck, I would service it at 50,000 miles, and I would do a full service. That's where you drop the pan, replace the filter. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go to Toyota, they're going to tell you it's not a filter. It doesn't have a filter. That's bull. It's just semantics. They might call it a screen. They might call it something else. It's a filter. It's a regular filter like every other filter is. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you have to have it done right. You have to replace the fluid. You have to use the WS, which is Toyota's own special fluid. You have Mm -hmm. to replace the filter, and it takes a number of special tools to set the fluid level properly. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I would be doing that about every 50,000 miles if you plan on keeping a truck a long, long time. Now, if you want to run at 100,000 and trade it off, then, yeah, you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. But a transmission service on that was probably somewhere around two hundred dollars, and a transmission is probably around four thousand dollars. <laughs> right. So, which one you want to do? <laughs> exactly. And, well, I, I always didn't believe in that no service thing, but right. Well, I didn't know, it's just uh, the world we live in. I mean, the level of the technicians they've got working today is getting kind of mm-hmm. lower and lower and lower. Like the guy I talked about earlier, no people who can do this and that are dying and going away. Same thing with everything else. The number right. of guys who can service transmission properly are going away. Right. And so they know that we can put this much fluid in it, this type of fluid, it'll go 100,000 miles, and that's what we're telling people it's going to do anyway, so we're happy. Okay. But it's just yeah. the public can't really afford to throw away their cars every 100,000 miles. Exactly. I mean, if you can do what they want you to do, then, yeah, you can do that. But if you can't, like most people, then you need to do something different. Right. Well, I've always had mother transmission service, like mm-hmm. you say. You know. Oh, yeah. It's exactly the same as every other transmission and just okay. a little, little bit different procedure. In fact, if you go on my website, I've got a whole article on how to check the fluid level and all that. Okay. Just, I kind of looked at that, you know, mm-hmm. and then, but like I said, every place I looked, you know, they were saying, well, we don't recommend changing it. But yeah. like I say, I could like to keep a car, you know, or a truck. A- absolutely. And, and like I said, miles. what they tell an engineer is we want a transmission that doesn't have to be serviced. It's just how long does it have to last? Yeah. 100,000 miles, no problem. We can do that. Yeah, that's his only criteria. That's the only criteria. They can do that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like I said, when you get to 125, 130, and it goes south, well, now right. you got a $4,000 repair bill that you could have spent it for maybe 200 you know? Right, right. So y'all do a complete yes, sir. Yes, sir. yes, sir. We do them all day long. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew whatever y'all did, y'all would do it right, you know? That's right. But I just wanted to know, like I say, it's got... Yeah, I don't know, 46000 so I'm... I'd be serving for the first time pretty soon, right around yeah. 50000 where I like to do it. That's what I was wondering. And well, I didn't uh, know another, that, see, another benefit oh. to that is if we get it in and we drop the pan, let's say we find some metal in that pan and you're still under warranty, well, we right. can send you back and get that covered, whereas it's not going to really fail until it goes out of warranty. Yeah, I know. That's another... We, we've, had, we've had that done <laughs> right. also. Yeah, we, we had a transmission, in fact, in a Tundra come in, we dropped the pan, it's full of metal. I sent him back to Toyota dealer and I said, well, why'd you service it? What difference does that make? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my bill's worth our service. It's full of metal. And, and they finally went ahead and put a transmission in it. But uh-huh. it probably wouldn't have failed till after 50,000 miles, which would have been out of warranty. So I like to have somebody that knows what they're doing looking inside. Right. So I felt. And then I didn't know if that WS fluid was a synthetic or not. It I is. I was going to ask. It like, is. Okay. Yep. synthetic. Okay. Yep. And that's what we use to put back in them. Okay. Because I had used some other brand synthetics and some other vehicles I had. Yeah, and, no, not on this one. 
I just was saying, I had to use synthetic. I like the synthetic oil. Right, right. right. No, it's, it's got a fully synthetic fluid in it. Right. All right. right. Okay. Okay, Larry. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, All right, man. sir. Thank Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Hey, man. What's going on? I thought you had retired. I Joe, wish I had. Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My wife, huh? I had to get an upgrade there for him. Yeah, I thought I said, man, I can't find his show no more. <laughs> okay, I sent you that email on that GMC. With yes, that sir. Mm-hmm. Booze kicking out. You said it was probably the brake light switch. And that's one possibility, and that's certainly the simplest thing. They go out a lot, Joe. They're easy to change, and they're about 20 bucks. So yeah, I, would, I, I would probably change that first. If that doesn't do it, you can bring it to me. I can diagnose it further. But that's pretty easy to change, and it's cheap. And they go out well, a lot. I changed the, well, one of the front wheel patterns started making a noise. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to change both of them. So yeah. I, me and a friend of mine changed them, but they had all them sensors you hooked up. Right. I don't so think I that's related to that. Them. No, no, that, mm-hmm. that runs the ABS, but I think it takes a speed signal off the transmission on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got another question. Right then. I have a 2003 Honda CRV. Mm-hmm. About a year ago, my engine light came on. Okay. So I took it to a guy over here that works on big mm-hmm. dump truck, and he works on my motor home. Uh-huh. So. He diagnosed it, said he could do it. Well, he changed what they call the intake manifold runner control. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. IMRC. Now, ever since he changed that, after I got the car back, that car didn't shift the same. Could be. So I, I brought it back to him, mm-hmm. and he did some little adjustments on it. Mm-hmm. But the car still, it'll downshift like at about 20 miles an hour. It never did that before. Well, that Would does. that have an effect on Oh, it? absolutely, yeah. See, what intake manifold runner control is kind of like a two-barrel and four barrel carburetor and what it's doing is opening a plane inside the intake manifold which gives more or less air and anything that affects airflow is going to affect your shift points so you may have to get it to somebody who does transmission work and have them look at the shift strategy now it could also be that it was off before and now it's right and and you're, you're just comparing it to where it was wrong before so you'd have to have there's actually a chart that tells you what the shift strategy is supposed to be you compare it to what it's supposed to be, and if it's right, you leave it alone. If it's not, there are some things you can do. But, yeah, that, that is one of the biggest inputs to shift points. Yeah, well, a big old plastic-looking thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That. Yep. So you can do that, I'm sure, yes, at your transmission yes, shop. Sure well, can. I'll make an appointment with it and check it out. It's, like I said, it'll downshift. I got about 20 sometime when I'm running 10 or 15, and all of a sudden it downshifts to mm-hmm. 20. Uh, that's definitely one of the main inputs. Well, I'm going to bring it in and let him check it out. I got one more question. Okay, can you hold on? We've got to take a break. All right, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we were talking to Joe just for a break. What was your second question, Joe? Okay, this is an old school question. Okay, go ahead. 
You know that old 70 charge RTI yeah, had restored? Very well. Uh-huh. That car, when I get on it hard, I'm running 92 octane gas, and okay. that's all I can get. Mm-hmm. When you get on it hard, you can hear the valve. Yeah, a little pinging? So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, there's a place in Denham that sells racing fuel. Okay. Anywhere from 100 octane to 116. Okay. What do you think I should run in that car? If you put 100 octane fuel, Joe, and it's still pinging, you got something else wrong. Right. If 100 octane doesn't clear that up. Well, I'm, I'm running 92 now. Yeah, but see, 100 is going to be eight more points. That's, that's a considerable amount. If you go to that and it's still pinging, then you're either going to have something like some crossfire going on. You can have some plug wires that are maybe bunched together rather than crossing each other, and they can mm-hmm. induce a spark from one to the other. You could have a hot spot in the combustion chamber. You could have a number of things. The timing may be slightly too far advanced. Go on my website and type in the word ping, P-I-N-G, mm-hmm. and you're going to see two articles in there that goes into detonation and pinging in more detail than you could even imagine. It'll tell you what it is, why it occurs, all the things that can cause it. And you're going to need to look. If you put the higher octane fuel and still doing it, then you got something else that's going on. Okay. And like well, I said, you might try retarding the timing just a couple of degrees and see if that helps a good bit. That's you can lose a little bit of performance, but it may be something you got to do. I don't because, care about performance. I yeah, want to run. <laughs> well, when it's pinging, you see what's happening is the fuel air mixture is exploding when it shouldn't, and you can actually end up right. burning holes in the pistons. I mean, that's very very damaging to the engine. Right. right. Go in and, and look those two articles up. Because you have what they call ping, spark knock, detonation, and all those are very similar, but they're all slightly different, but they're all damaging to the engine. So go on my site and look those up. You're going to have a real, real good insight into it. But if, if the, the higher octane doesn't cure it, then it'll have several things in there you can try. Well, I'm going to try to run some. Do you recommend going 100 strength and diluting it or what? I would probably put some 100 and see what happens. And if it goes away completely, I'd probably start blending maybe the 100 with some of the 92 or 93. Mm-hmm. and just see what mixture you can get. There. Because you know, it's going to be real expensive to buy straight 100-octane gas. Yeah, well, I'm going to buy a 55-gallon drum. Yeah, you've got to have a climate-controlled room to keep that in because it'll get water in it, even though it's yeah, a I sealed do. drum. Yeah, as long right. as you got it in, in a climate-controlled room, you'll be all right. And okay. if you put something on it, don't let it sit on the ground. Because that's, yeah, get it off the concrete. Yeah, that, the concrete will make it sweat inside, and it'll, yeah. it'll get water in it. Well, my cousin has a Boss 302, a 70. Mm-hmm. He puts mm-hmm. them in his. Mm-hmm. And he said the car runs so much different. Well, yeah, and I mean, so, that was kind of what they were designed to run on, especially right. the one you got, because that thing's been highly modified, so it, it could probably definitely right. benefit from it. I'd try that and see. If not, like I said, read that article, and that's going to give you a whole lot more insight. Okay, I'll try it. If it don't work, I'll bring it over there. All right, Joe. <laughs> All right, man. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. we got Matt on the line. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning, Lewis. How's yes, it going? Great, man. Hey. Two quick questions for you. One, I do all my own oil changes and everything, Uh you know, on time with the schedule, but oftentimes I'll buy those five-gallon jugs of oil, Uh and I only need to use, you know, one full one and then a quart out of the the other one. Uh Is it okay? I mean, does it start to break down once you've opened that other jug, or is it okay to... not so much that it's going to break down. I mean, in enough time, it could, but short-term, probably not, but you can get moisture and stuff in it. I would probably keep those in the house. Matt, I wouldn't put them out in a garage or anything where it's getting real cold and real hot and all that. See, oil should really be stored around no more than 80 degrees anyway. Uh, all of our oil that we use to service people's car in bulk, that's a climate-controlled room. We keep the humidity down. We use desiccant filters on the inlets of it, and we keep the room about 80 degrees all the time. Because if it gets real cold or real hot, you can start picking up moisture content and all those sorts of things. Okay, but within, you know, a six-month period, as long as you're doing that, it's kind of Yeah, yeah just put the cap on good and tight, and just, like I said, keep it in, in the house. I wouldn't keep it out in the garage. Okay, excellent. All right, 
Okay. And then uh, the other thing, I've got a 2012 Chevy Tahoe, uh-huh. and I'm about to do a brake job on it. It's okay. got about 50,000 miles. Okay. And I'm looking here online, and, you know, they offer all sorts of different ceramic fibers. Yeah. Yeah, don't do any of that. Just go to Chevrolet dealer and buy them. Okay. It's going to cost you a little bit more, but it's a much, much better pad. That pad that Chevrolet uses is a ceramic pad. It was made by a company called Akimono, which is the top of the line manufacturer. And it is specifically made for that vehicle. I talked to the engineer from Akimono at a SEMA show, and he was telling me they make about 60 different pads just for Chevy pickups. Each one is specific to a specific application. So you're not ever going to go wrong using that. When you use all that aftermarket stuff, a lot of times you end up either with warped rotors or you walk, you know, it doesn't stop as good as before. Or you just get all kind of little collateral issues that weren't perfectly engineered with the friction material. And like I said, they, they're kind of expensive from GM, but it's worth it. It's worth the extra money. It is. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Matt. Thanks, right. man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we got David's been patiently holding. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, sir. Look, I got a, a 94 uh, Cadillac Seville with a 4.6, mm-hmm. and the battery went bad in it. So I went and I got me a new battery and put a battery in, mm-hmm. and I turned the key to start, and now it doesn't do anything. I mean, I have no sound of, of, of anything at all. I would check first on the cables, David, where you, where the two cables go on. Make sure you didn't either leave one of the cables off or a little spacer between the cables didn't fall out. If you grab those cables and try to turn them, you should not be able to move either cable at all. If you can move those cables after those little bolts are tightened up, uh-huh. you got a loose cable. That would be the most common thing. Now, there's a number of other things that could be. There's, there's a main power fuse that could have got blown, you know, which could cut that. There is a wire that feeds the power center that could have got pulled loose or something when the battery was getting changed. There's all kinds of other little things. I mean, there's also a remote possibility that the new battery you got is dead. Right. You could have been sitting on a shelf a long time be dead. So there's a number of things. If you had a voltmeter, you could check the battery and make sure it's putting out 12.5 volts. You know, if you got uh-huh. if you got 12.5 volts at the battery, then go down to the starter and see if you got 12.5 volts on that big cable at the starter. Got it at the battery, but you don't have it there when the cable is either loose or bad or not connected or something like that. Same thing with the ground cable. So you just got to take a little bit of a scientific approach with it. You can go in and start changing things, but you're going to change a whole lot of stuff and maybe never hit the problem. Maybe cause other trouble. And maybe cause other problems, yeah. So I would first make sure those cables are good and tight. There should be, I think, a short bolt on the negative cable, a long bolt on the positive cable with a little lead spacer between the two cables. Make sure all that's in there and it's assembled right and that there's nothing between it. Like maybe it had a insulator or something on one of the terminals you didn't see and you put the thing on top of it you know something silly like that beyond that you're gonna need to get a voltmeter and start chasing the, the voltage down where the voltage ends I mean, you said something about a fuse what, what fuse will i look for man you have to get your owner's manual out right. and look in there and see if there's some kind of a main power fuse it'll be like a 40 50 amp fuse there's also some fuse links they're normally down around the starter somewhere it's like a little wire that can burn off uh-huh. then you can take your voltmeter and if you don't have voltage down at the starter then you can start checking backwards until you find voltage, right. and you may cross one of those fusible links and find that it's right. burned up. i tell you what, Dave. They don't break in half when they burn up. No, sometimes they still look good. Dave, right. what's going to be way, way cheaper for you is check those cables and all. Make sure they're good and tight. Make sure they're on. Check the battery and see if it's got voltage. If all that's good, then just tow it to a shop because this could be way cheaper than you sitting there playing with it. I mean, you'll be calling me six months from now still trying to figure this out. And probably in, in 45 minutes to an hour, they're going to fix the problem. So it's not going to cost a whole lot. 
It's just uh, sometimes it's just way cheaper to do that. Okay, thank you a lot. All right, Dave. All right, sir. Thanks, Appreciate man. Appreciate it. Mm, bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. You know, electrical problems like that are kind of hard to chase down when you're not familiar with the way things are wired. Well, that, in automobiles and. A lot of people either don't have a voltmeter or are not certain about how to use a voltmeter. You can go on our site, and we've got an article, Tips on Electrical Testing. Uh-huh. And if you read that, it'll kind of give you a little bit of an approach. And that's a very, very, very simple tool that you, you can buy very inexpensively. Right. I mean, you can buy one from almost any store or Radio Shack or anywhere for probably 10 15 bucks. So sure. we're not talking high-tech equipment here. So if you get that and you can do some testing, now you can eliminate a pile of different possibilities exactly. without just starting changing parts. Because you, know, you could have a starter or something with a problem. I mean, you could have a cable that got pulled loose, right? one little wire that goes somewhere that got pulled loose, but without having a way to go in and see where the power ends and some understanding of how it works, you're going to end up spending a whole, whole lot of money. I've seen people go in and... Well, maybe it's a starter. So they put a starter on it. Well, right. maybe it's all kind of stuff. Maybe right. it's a neutral safety switch. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's a whole lot of things. But unless you do some physical testing and see which things, I mean, you can electronically eliminate all these possibilities without changing a bunch of parts and possibly creating a separate, sure. whole separate issue. See, he was saying he changed the battery. It may have not been the battery to start with. Couldn't. He may have had another issue to start with, thought the battery was dead, changed the battery, said, well, now it won't start. But it wasn't starting it before. before, so he you just, don't know. He assumed it was a bad battery before. Correct. But it could have been a separate issue before the battery was changed, and the battery just made no difference. So Correct. You can kind of get off on a tangent with stuff like that. you got to be a real careful with it. we got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning, Lewis. How are y'all doing? Doing great, doing great. Just purchased like two weeks ago a 2015 Toyota Highlander. Okay. When they said, they told me a certain time to change all the first time. I didn't like the old school. I usually like doing the first one like a thousand miles. Yeah, I do the same. What, you think I should do that? Yeah, I, I do would. it around 1,000 to 1,500 on the first change. And then after that, the changes need to be predicated on the way you drive the car, John. There is no mileage that's, that's going to be a recipe for changing all. Because one guy drives 100 miles a day, and he could probably go 5,000 miles between changes with no problem. Another guy drives three or four miles a day, maybe 10 miles a day. Well, he's got to change his way, way more often because the car is never getting operating temperature. So go on my website and just type in, when should I change my oil? And there's an article in it that will give you all the scoop on it, tell you exactly how to calculate when you should do it. Change it according to that and forget about that little reminder system because all that stuff is predicated on a service life of 100,000 miles. Right, right. You know, I can't right. throw my car away after 100,000 miles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I know. And, and I don't want to pay anybody to change the rear main seal and the valve cover gasket and all that because they're all leaking, you know. Right. We Well, we just got rid of one. Matter of fact, you had service it several times, mm-hmm. a little gray uh, trailblazer. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, uh, we, my wife was itching to get a new one, so yeah. we got, got rid of it. And the people that, you know, I told them they wanted to have a shop look at it. When mm-hmm. I told them you'd always done the maintenance, they said, don't worry about I'm not worried about bringing it to a shop now. So, well, good deal. little plug for, uh, for you. One more question. All right, go ahead. Got a, like, uh, it's a 1982 Toyota forklift at work. Uh-huh. And I was checking it yesterday. The transmission fluid's a little low. Okay. What, what type needs to go on that thing? Man, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Do you have the owner's manual? No, no. It's a forklift. Yeah, for the forklift, I'm sorry? No, no, sir. It's an 82 model. It's got a little four-cylinder. It's a small bird. A little manual-type transmission? It's, a, it's automatic transmission. It is. Yes, sir. It's mm. probably going to be Dextron 3, but possibly. But what, what you deck. need to do, 
you know, like Lewis was saying, either pull a dipstick and see if it's written on the stick or find out the manufacturer and call um, one of these forklift companies yeah, and tell them what you got. Like Scott Equipment right. should okay. have service data for that. They, could, they, could they should be able that. to tell you. I would okay. think something that old will almost certainly be Dexron 3. It looks The color looks good and everything, but mm-hmm. it's just a little low. In- yeah, look on the dipstick. Usually it's right. written on the stick. Yeah, I looked on the stick, and it, it shows what a level should be when it's cold and hot, but it doesn't say what Nothing. type to put in it. Yeah, so. There's no sticker underneath the seat or anything under no, the lid I mean, or anything like that? No, this thing's pretty old. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, all that's back, been, been gone. Yeah, it's back for and I've changed the seat on it before, so okay. it's back yeah, like it's, 1982. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would almost bet you it's going to be Dexron 3, because almost everything back then either took Mercon or Dexron, and almost all your Toyota products, Dexron. But you might call the guy who services those and just ask him. He's going to have service data for right. it. He can look it up real Yeah, easy. I'll do that. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys. Okay, All right. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've got to take a quick little break, but we'll be right back aboard. James, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901, and we got James online. Good morning, James. Hello, how you doing? Doing great. Good morning. All right. Uh, We have a question for you. I got a 02 Cadillac Escalade. Got a 6.0 engine in it. This thing's got 120,000 miles on it. Uh And it's been running good, but since it got cold when you... First start the engine up for a while, it just sits there and does everything. Well, I don't know what that right. means. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what does does everything mean? <laughs> well, it's just missing, like it's missing and just shaking. Running rough? Right. Okay, right. check engine light coming on yet? Yes, it is. Okay. okay. Yeah, most likely thing on that, James, kind of smooths out once it warms up. That's right, yes, it yeah, is. The most likely thing is going to be the intake manifold gaskets are leaking on it. They had a lot of trouble with that. There's a revised gasket for that problem. What happens is that when the gaskets start to leak and shrink up, there's some little hold-down bolts in there that hold everything together. There's a little cushion on it that holds it down. That cushion packs down over time, loosens up, the gaskets shrink up, and it starts leaking. Now, what is going on is that it's sucking air in around the intake instead of through the intake. Now, the problem there is when it's cold, the oxygen sensors are not working because it's an open loop at that point. So when you get extra air and it's running on default readings, it doesn't know. So it's going to sit there and it's going to miss and cut out and it's going to set a PO300, which is a general misfire code. It's going to set a 174 and a 171, which is the engine lean code. Now, once it warms up, the oxygen sensors come online. They say, hey, look, we're too lean here. So it just starts dumping extra fuel in there to cover it up. So it can adapt to it once it gets warm. But when it's cold, it can't. So that's why it's going to sit there and kind of miss when it's cold. Once it warms up, it'll kind of smooth out and do okay. 
but that's, that's almost always the problem on that particular vehicle. I mean, it's not the only thing that can cause it, but that is by far the most, most common. common thing. Right. And like I said, it generally sets those three codes, PO300, PO174, and PO171. Okay. All right. We sure appreciate it. All right. There really ain't much to do but just... Place the intake gaskets and hold down yeah. bolts. Okay. Yeah, make sure they replace those bolts when they do the intake gaskets. Right. Because if not, you'll be back in the same boat in six yeah, months. Yeah, when we do it, we always we keep those bolts in stock, and we always right. change the bolts, the gaskets, the whole deal, and you're fixed. But there's a lot of shops that don't. In fact, when I, I've got to actually make the dealer order those bolts for me because they never, he said, we never use them. I said, well, then you're not yeah. fixing the car right. That's right. So I just buy like 10 sets at a time, put them on a shelf because I can't ever get them when I need them, trying to go to the dealer and get them. So I know they're not changing them. But, yeah, if you don't change the bolts, you'll be back doing it again in about six months to a year. All right. All right. We'll appreciate it. Okay, Jay. All right, sir. Thanks, man. Appreciate you taking the call. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive art, we'd certainly love to have you. We were talking just before we got all our calls about misfires. Right. And that call is sort of indicative of one of those sorts of things. When you have a single cylinder misfire, then it's not going to be something like a vacuum leak. It's not going to be something like the fuel pump because those things affect all the, all cylinders, the cylinders in general equally. Right. So when you have a single cylinder misfire, we're looking for something like a bad spark plug, a bad spark plug wire, plug wire, bad coil, bad injector, injector, right. low, low compression on one cylinder, right. Things that will affect the one, one cylinder, cylinder only. A general misfire are going to be things that affect all the cylinders equally. Correct. And that could be like an airflow meter. A vacuum leak. A vacuum leak. Right. An EGR valve stuck open. A fuel pump going bad. Correct. That's not going to affect one cylinder. It's going to affect all the cylinders equally. So by knowing if you have a general misfire or a specific cylinder misfire. You have a different set of criteria you need to start looking at. You know where to start looking at right. things. And so you eliminate a lot of possible tests that you would have to run just by the experience of knowing what you're looking for. Exactly. We're going back to our phone lines with DW. Good morning, DW. Yes, uh, Lewis, do you uh, service manual transmission? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. 91G Brangler, would that be a problem for you? No, not at all. No. That's really a it's piece a drain, of cake, yeah. basically drain and fill. Pretty uh, much like changing your own oil if you want to do it yourself. I mean, yeah. it's just a drain and fill. Mm-hmm. All right. How about when I say service, do you work on them? Yes, I can do a certain number of things on them. What, what kind of what, problem are you yeah. having with it? With first and I believe it's, it belongs to a friend of mine. I believe it's first and thirds out on it completely. You got no first gear, no third gear? That's my, what my understanding is. I haven't personally looked yeah, at it. Yeah, you need to find out for sure right. because if it's grinding going into the gear, that's going to be one whole separate set of things. If it physically has no gear, then yeah, you got a failure inside the transmission. I would probably replace that just because you can't get the parts for it readily they do there are companies that will rebuild them and we just get a rebuilt unit and replace it because i can't get the parts to fix it and another possibility is we might find a used replacement if you mm-hmm. want something a little less expensive but find out if it's grinding and hard to put into gear or if it physically has no gear because if it's grinding most time that's gonna be a clutch related problem how old is this jeep 91 yeah. 91 pretty old is the linkage on the outside of that one it could shift be, linkage. and see, first and third could be on, on it, the, it could be a shifter linkage right. type problem, because first and third are usually on the same linkage, on so that could be throw. something like the shifter itself broken and not the transmission at all, so right. we need to really get in and find out exactly what the complaint is, and then go from there. Oh, man, great. Well, I, it I, may not be a transmission at all. Right. 
Right, and, and you know that makes sense because the shifter's been. It looks like it's been bent or broken. Yeah, well, there, well, you, go. there you go. It and may see, be normally a, first and third are going to be on the same gate, and then second and fourth are going to be on a, a different gate. And that's and that's exactly what I told him. I'm yeah. you know being a semi old car guy, and uh, yeah. they're probably related. Well, it, it could even be as simple as maybe the bushing in the shift linkage dry rod and fell out, and, and the shift rod fell off or something. You know? Would you need the vehicle, or would you, or would you just be better rather have the transmission? No, 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 I, no, I, I, I the whole vehicle for sure right all right well that there another question answered and i certainly appreciate it all right uh, we'll set him up sounds great all right call, thank man. you thanks man mm, bye-bye all right 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour we're going to try dw again dw there yes sir okay uh-huh. all right i was changing the oil pump on a 2002 ford f-150 4.7 okay will, will i have to take the motor mount loose and uh, jack the motor up most likely why are you changing the oil pump on it dw it's leaking real bad. It's leaking around the seat. Oh, around okay. The field. Okay. Yeah, um, some of them you can just take the motor mount out, jack the motor up to one side, and, and sneak it out. Some of them you have to actually take both mounts off, take all the other stuff off, and pull the whole motor up. It just depends on on your access and how handy you are as far as getting your hand in them little tight spots. Right. Not a real easy one. And I think the cross member runs right under it. it does. You can't drop the cross yeah, member. It's welded in. So. Yeah, there's a handful of them. You actually have to take the motor out the truck to get it out. Right. I think you may be able to get that mount off and, and jack it up and sneak it out. Right, so just be kind of uh, careful where the, the engine goes back. Because we jack up on that motor, make sure it doesn't go back and hit the firewall and break anything on top of the motor. Right, there's a coolant fitting on the back of that intake, and it'll hit the firewall if you jack the engine up too high and break okay. it off, and you got to buy an intake to replace yeah, it. Yeah, so be careful oh, about right. that kind of stuff when you right. start jacking the motor up. All right, well, that's what I need to know then. Okay, man. All right, sir. All right, all right, Thank thanks. you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. Yeah, that's real tough. We do those on the Crown Vix and all a lot, and they're fairly easy because right. the chassis, the crowns. you don't have a cross member running underneath it. On the trucks, the older trucks like that, that was a pretty tough job. And on four-wheel right. drive, it's even harder. Oh, yeah. you got to yeah. just about take the four-wheel drive unit out the front yeah, to it, get access. It kind of threw me when he said oil pump. That's actually the oil filter adapter uh-huh. gasket. It's a big, thick gasket. And it's on the side of the block there right underneath the oil filter. But there's actually two different gaskets, one for engines that have an oil cooler and one for engines that don't have an oil cooler. Correct. But that's the oil filter housing adapter, adapter gasket. Yeah, it's got three bolts in, bolts straight to the side of the block. Right. I know which one you're talking and about you now. And you do have to, yeah, you said oil pump. I think the oil pump's actually in the pan on that I think one. it is. But the that, oil filter adapters. Coolant runs through it, it too. Does. you got to drain the cooling system and all that. To, it does. It actually do the job. Pretty good job there yeah. to get it done. But On, on that model, it is. Well, I tell you, we're just about totally out of time. We need to start winding it on up. Like tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, get more people listening to us. That's Go right. to your favorite rebroadcast service. And if they got a rating system, give us a written rating. That's right. If you give us a written review, it's going to move us up in the ratings because that's what the people who do that look at uh-huh. and see how popular a show is. And they like to put the more popular shows first. So what happens if folks type say auto repair in they may not see our show if it's way down the list and right so we don't get another listener and of course we don't get enough listeners and we can't keep doing the show <laughs> so <laughs> everybody, everybody benefits so yeah go on it whether it's stitcher or itunes or Podbean or right there's just a number of them out there and if you see a written review spot give us a good review if you don't mind we sure appreciate it also makes our day that it does there you go as always we appreciate you listening this morning and every saturday morning to the automotive hour preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend